What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. Oasis is the college and young adult ministry at Park West Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Come hang out with us if you're ever in the area on a Thursday night. We'd love to meet you face to face. If you don't already, make sure you follow us on social media at Oasis PWC to stay updated with everything going on here with the Oasis family. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. Let's jump in. All right, turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to Hebrews, the most cringy Christian coffee shop name. If we, well, I won't even say if, when we do open a um, Oasis coffee. Brio, it took a minute. It swept across the room in waves and just kind of hit everybody a minute ago. Thank you. I'll be here all evening. Praise God. <laughs> If when, when we do launch our Oasis coffee shop, at some point, we're praying about it, at some point the Lord will provide and we'll be there. It will not be called Hebrews. It will not be. Sorry, not sorry. It will not be. It will not be holy grounds either. <laughs> we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. All right, Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 7 and 8, and we're going to pray about it, and we're going to get into the word. Good deal, starting in verse 7. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, today if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. I want to really lean into that that one phrase, today, if you hear his voice. Tonight, I want to preach a message titled, Open Your Ears. Turn to your neighbor and say, open them ears. Turn to the other neighbor, the one that really needs it. Tell him, hey, open those ears. <laughs> Let's pray together. God, I thank you that we get to be here tonight, and I ask that you will, in fact, open our ears to hear what you have to say to the church in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. 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 Wow. I'm so excited to preach the word and I'm so hyped up on caffeine. And because we've got some exciting things coming up in the next couple weeks, this is probably the last time that I will preach in Oasis for like a three or four week span. So just buckle up because I'm ready to give the word. Amen. How many siblings do we have in the room? We have like you. Okay. Do we have any oldest siblings in the room? My people, y'all run the show and you know you do. You know, we drove our siblings crazy, and that's okay, because we probably kept them out of prison as well. How many middle children do we have in the room? The worst. We love y'all so much. Dylan's like, I am all of the above. The first, the last, and all the in-between, right? All right, how many babies? How many, how many youngest child? Yeah, y'all, y'all got everything you wanted. Like, you, was lo- you couldn't do nothing wrong. I'm just kidding. Growing up, siblings are no siblings. Growing up is hilarious for one main reason, punishment. How many of you, like, you have some old school, like, we're in East Tennessee. I can talk about spankings in East Tennessee, right? That's going to be okay. How many of you grew up, like, show of hands, like, your mama was not afraid to whip you, like, if you deserved it? See, and that's why y'all came out okay. That's it. That's, that's it right there. That's why, that's why we came out all right. 
Growing up with siblings was hilarious because obviously I never got in trouble, but my siblings totally got in trouble. And I can say that because neither of them are here tonight to argue with that. So it's totally fine, right? My brother was hilarious with this. My mom, listen, we got spanked because we deserved it. You know, if you have kids and you decide not to spank them, that's totally fine. We deserved it. Like, we needed it. And um, back, back then, way back then, I won't tell you how far back then, but way back then when I was growing up, the Kool-Aid packets had this thing that they sold where it was like a pitcher and a spoon and a bunch of packets. And let me tell you, the spoon was a yellow spoon that had a Kool-Aid smiley face in it. You know what that was used for? That was the whipping spoon. And Susan would put that thing on the table and she'd give you this look. <laughs> and you know, the Kool-Aid man was like, oh yeah. You were like, oh no. Like when the Kool-Aid spoon came out, you knew, you knew it was not going to be good. Well, we got to a stage of life where we weren't super afraid of my mom's whippings. Because Susan, like, she'd get you when she needed to get you, but she was pretty kind about it. Like, she just, she loved us very well. And mom would, would use the phrase, wait till your father gets home. And that's when all bets were off. Now, let me be abundantly clear. I grew up in an incredible home. My parents are the bomb.com. I could not have asked for, for better parents. They stayed together. They love each other. They love the Lord. They weren't abusive. It was none of those things. Like, they loved us well. But my dad kind of always had this thing where, like, we knew. He never had to say this out loud. We just knew that he chose my mama and that we were the byproduct of that choice. And if there was a further choice to be made, he was going to choose my mama. So when he would come home and we had been like left in timeout in our room to be dealt with, you knew like, oh, you, you was going to be dealt with, right? Like by that time, everybody's chilled. Well, my brother was so funny with this because he would get sassy with my mom. And there was one time, I can't, man, I, for the life of me, I can't remember if it was him or my sister, but it's hilarious either way. There was one time my mom popped him once or twice and they giggled. And as you remember, like, get to your room, your father will deal with you when he gets home, right? Well, my dad came home. My little brother, he had bunk beds in his room. My little brother was on the top bunk. You would have thought my dad was, like, going to kill him. I mean, he was freaking out for, like, an hour. He was hunkered up in the back, like, corner screaming bloody murder. And my dad was like, like, didn't even hardly, didn't even hardly speak it. Because my brother was just so freaked out that my dad was like, well, you had your punishment. Like, we don't, we don't need any, anything with that. You, you don't really have to worry about it. Now, the funniest punishment didn't actually take place in my home. This was a friend of ours growing up. Some of y'all would know him, so I won't use his name. But a friend of ours growing up, he started a lawn care company when he was in high school. And he was making pretty stinking good money. So he wasn't hurting for money. And he got a little prideful because of it. He was up in their bonus room and he had mouthed off something strong. The kid had an attitude and he had mouthed off something strong to his mom who was Southern. And that's enough, right? Like you're just like, oh, okay. He, I don't know what he said, but he said something he shouldn't have. His mama came up the stairs into the bonus room and fussed at him and he had his headphones on playing Call of Duty or something, just like minding whatever, not paying any attention to her. She got so mad, she threw his Xbox out the window from the bonus room and it hit the driveway. Oh, it gets better. It hit the driveway and didn't shatter and dude started laughing. I promise you hand on the Bible. 
This mom goes into the garage, gets in her Suburban, and backs that thing up back and forth and back and forth and just ran the Xbox all to pieces. Parents, at least good parents, will say it this way. Good parents don't punish for the fun of it. Like, there's not really any enjoyment in that if you really love your children, right? Punishment is to teach your kids that there's consequences if you make bad choices. You, you always hear that, like, a parent's like, don't run out into the road. Like, you smack your kid on the hind end or something because they're running out of the road. My dog did that yesterday. He managed to get off the tie-up and ran out onto North Shore. Like, dear God, Charlie's fine. Praise the Lord. She's good. But she got scolded a little bit when she came inside because there are consequences for your actions. And it's a parent's responsibility then. Say, hey, well, maybe, maybe we don't run out into the road, right? Like, don't mouth off to your parents because if you do that to your boss, you're going to get fired. Some of y'all didn't learn that lesson and you mouthed off to your boss and you got fired. That one's free. Sorry. Stepped on some toes. Your boss may have been awful too, so I'm not trying to get into all of that. But there are consequences for our action. There are punishment that comes along with these things. What do you do, church family, when God brings a punishment? What do you do when there's a consequence that God caused? I want to jump to um, some Old Testament stories for a minute. We're going to be in the book of Numbers in 14 for just a second if you want to go there, but I'm going to give you a ton of context. Can we have like some Bible class for a minute? So Israelite nation, let's rewind like way back and get everybody on the same page because I think there's sometimes even recently I was going back and thinking about Bible history and how everything in the Bible is like connected and we know that. But then sometimes you hear a sermon and you're like, how does that connect to this and where did all that come from? So here's like rapid Old Testament. You ready? God speaks to a man named Abraham. Turn your neighbor and say, Abraham. And he tells him, you're going to be my guy. I'm going to be your God, the only God for you. And you're going to have as many children as the stars in the sky. And out of that is this promise for the Israelite nation. So if you've ever heard, you know, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that started with Abraham, who had a handful of kids. One of them was Isaac, who had a handful of kids. One of them was Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, where this gets interesting, Jacob had 12 sons. And Jacob's name would eventually be turned into Israel. So these 12 sons are where we would eventually get the 12 tribes of Israel, right? This is the Israelites. What happens, Jacob has a son named Joseph. Turn to your neighbor and say, Joseph. Joseph, you've probably heard the story, but Joseph is the one who had this dream where he was a ruler and his brothers weren't feeling it and they sold him into slavery and then all this happens. Well, I share this on purpose because Joseph ends up a slave in Egypt, while he's there in Egypt, a whole lot of stuff goes down. Go read it. It's a whole roller coaster and like 75 sermons in one. But a lot of stuff goes down. Joseph, in the end, ends up being the right-hand man for the head honcho in Egypt and interprets these dreams for him and saving the Egyptian community. And when that happens, he brings his dad and all his brothers and their family into Egypt. That's how we end up with the Israelites in Egypt. Years go by, a bunch of them pass away, and more generations have come through, and now the Israelites have tur turned into this nation. There's a ton of them living in Egypt, and the Egyptian ruler is not happy about it. So they then become slaves, okay? This is where Moses shows up. 
God raises up Moses from inside the community to set them free because way back when with Abraham, when God said, hey, you'll be my guy and your people will be my people and we'll do this life together, he told them, I have a place for you. I have a promised land for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, promised land. He told Abraham, I have a promised land for you and it's for your children and your children's children and all of these generations, right? So then fast forward, a few years go by and different generations have come through and now Moses comes through and brings the people Israel out of this slavery in Egypt. I just like minimized a ton of the Old Testament. So they come through, they get free from Egypt and many of you will remember the story. Um, They part the waters, the Lord parts the waters for them, they go through and then the waters close on the Egyptians behind them and now here they are in the desert where they spend the next 40 years in the desert. And the context for that is where I really want to land. You've got all these years of generation after generation of miracle. And you see all these times where God would show up, would do ministry with them, would heal them, would take care of them. And the Israelites' whole Old Testament story is up and down and up and down because they live for God. Then they don't live for God. Then they live for God. And then they don't. And you just lather, rinse, repeat. They get free from Egypt because God performed all of these crazy miracles, all these plagues happened on the Egyptians, all these things happen. God sets them free, they get across this massive sea, and now they're in the desert, and God tells them to go into the promised land that had been promised to Abraham generations before. So they send 12 spies to go look at the land. And when they get over there, they're terrified because literally the Bible will tell you the people in the promised land are bigger than they are. There are literal giants in these cities that the Lord has said is supposed to be theirs. Twelve of them go into the promised land for 40 days. And when the 12 of them come back, only two of them come back with faith. The other 10 are like, yo, there is no way we can do this. It is not going to happen. This is not going to work. And look at what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 14. It says, for 40 years, one for each of the days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. The Lord was so frustrated. He had to, he's like, y'all, I've been with you since your great, 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 great grandpa way back here. I multiplied you into the nation that I said I was going to. I set you free from all that nonsense back here. And now we're here. Like we're on the verge of breakthrough into the promised land and their doubt kept them from going into it. And their punishment was to wander around in the desert for 40 years until literally all of the oldest generation died. He didn't allow any of them to go into the promised land. The only ones from that generation that went through were the two spies that originally had faith that they could do it. Don't allow your doubt to control your direction. In the midst of the in-between and the freak out and trying to figure out where to go, man, somebody's got to remember where they were a minute ago and that you made it this far. God did not bring you this far to stop here. There are some of us like, you don't even know that your grandparent or great-grandparent or whatever have this word from the Lord for a business, for mental health. And there's just these generations that have not really taken hold of it, that have not clung to this this promise. If you're looking at a promised land, generally it looks like a ton of battles in front of you. At least in my life, 
There have been times where I'm like, man, we are finally making breakthrough. We are going into the promised land. God's got it. And then we're like here on the verge of crossing over and we're like, man, these people are bigger than me. Like, There's a war to fight between where I am now and where I want to be. And what will often happen is my doubt will control my direction. Man, let me go a step further. Don't allow your disappointment to control your direction. Because what gets the Israelites in trouble in this time is they get into the desert and they start complaining about what they had to eat. To the point that they literally tell the Lord, why didn't you just leave us as slaves in Egypt? Because at least we had three full meals there. And the Lord's like, yeah, you were getting whipped, literally. <laughs> Working for somebody else, you had no freedom. There's a promise for you. Don't allow your doubt, don't allow your disappointment to keep you from the direction God wants you to go. They had disobeyed and disrespected God's word, and it cost them 40 years. Okay, now fast forward many, many years. The Israelites get through that 40-year period, and they, they eventually cross into the promised land. And this is where you get a lot of the Old Testament prophets. Because now we're out here, we're in this new territory, and the Israelites start this roller coaster. If we serve the Lord, we don't serve the Lord. We serve the Lord, we don't serve the Lord. They'll put a king in place that loves and serves the Lord, and then all the people do. And then a crazy king will come through, and none of the people will serve the Lord. And you watch them go from slaves in captivity to run in the town because there were times when they walked in covenant with God, and there were times when they didn't. And you see all of this up and down and up and down. So when you read the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah or Habakkuk, all of these Old Testament prophets, what they're doing is they're prophesying that Israel is going to end up as slaves again, but that one day there's a Messiah coming that's going to end this whole cycle. It's going to end this whole mess. So then enter in Jesus. Jesus rolls in and fulfills all of the law. He lives this sinless life and he dies on a cross for all humanity. Like, I know we, we kind of get to this part of the, the service and this is like, we're like, oh yeah, I know that part, preacher. No, this is the gospel. Like, this is the core of what we believe. This is the definition of good news. That we don't have to do the cycles anymore. That we don't have to walk in fear anymore. That we don't have to deal with the nonsense anymore. That you can lay your head down at night and have peace because Jesus Christ died for your sins. Can somebody say amen? This is the gospel. This is why we believe what we believe. Jesus shows up and he changes everything. And he goes from city to city and he preaches and a ton of people get saved. Jesus dies on a cross. He, he ascends up into the heavens and then everything gets real. Enter the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm telling you, we have like Bible class tonight. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have what tells the story of what Jesus did while he was here. Then you go into the book of Acts that starts the craziness that happens when the church really starts to form. The disciples and all the other followers go out and plant all these churches. So again, when you read the Old Testament, you're either hearing the story of the Israelites or you're hearing these prophets talk about the bad things or the good things that are coming. The New Testament is almost entirely, this is super important. I need somebody to pay attention because this is a big deal. The New Testament is almost entirely pastors that are writing to churches that have just been planted. 
When you read like 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy, all of these scriptures, they are literal letters that were written by John or Peter or the Apostle Paul to help the people understand how to live now that they had Jesus. So you've had all of this stuff that has happened. You've had all this mess in the wilderness. You have all of this, and this is where we land at our opening passage of Scripture. I'm totally geeking out on this, and I hope it's okay. Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read the the Scripture we open with, and then I'm going to read a few more because I'm just really feeling it. Verse 7, he says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Oh, somebody's about to make this connection. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. The author says to this church, okay, if you hear God's voice, whatever you do, don't do what the Israelites did in the desert. (laughs) Like if God says, hey, go do something, go do something. Don't make him wait until you die to bring your blessing on somebody else. If he says to do something, oh my God, do something. Verse 10, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that not one, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, and then one more time for good measure in verse 15, he says, as has just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. If you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like those people did. And tonight, I want to ask, uh, ask an important question. If God spoke to you right now, through this word, and it was something that you didn't agree with, what do you do? The Israelites had a promise. They had seen his faithfulness already, and they got to the place where they were stepping into a new season, and their doubt controlled their direction. And you see, it preaches really good to talk about it in that circumstance, because you're like, no, you can face every giant. You can win every battle. God has a promise for you. But that's not even necessarily really what I'm trying to say. If God told you something that you didn't agree with politically, what would you do? If God told you something, and let me, let me clarify. If he told you something through the Bible, I'm not saying like you saw something on the internet and you were like, God is speaking to me. Well, if, it, if it's in line with the Bible, maybe. But if, if the word said something and you didn't agree with it, what happens next? Because spoiler alert, if you and God are on opposite ends of a conversation, he's probably not the one that's wrong. I'm just, all right, let's pray and get out of here. 
But there are times that we act like maybe he is. Shoo. God had shown his power to the Israelites time and time again. But they doubted his leadership and it cost them their promise. You have probably heard me say it a thousand times, but it's so true. If Jesus is your savior, he has to be your Lord. He is the high priest, which means he is the one that ministers to us, the one that made the sacrifice for us, but he is the king above all kings that makes the rules, that decides how this thing should go. He isn't just the ultimate sacrifice, he's our ultimate supervision. So I wanna ask, do you trust his word above your emotions? Do you trust his leadership above your political party? Do you trust his heart above your personal convictions? If you heard God's voice today, would you receive it? Brief intermission. Uh, some of you know I'm back in school right now, and it's fun. I just love school, so I went back. I missed it so much. It's like, let's write more papers. That's what I need in life, right? Yay. And the whole, like, school of religion stuff is, is formatted in something called Turabian. And I'm so sorry, because some of y'all are, like, having PTSD right now, just thinking about school. You're like, it's the summer. Shut up. But Turabian is kind of like MLA on steroids. Like, you have to cite things more than once, and it's cited differently than in the bibliography. And it's just from the devil. But, but I'm writing a lot of papers right now, and I just had this class that was called Discipleship in the New Testament. Now, the, the program that I'm working in is, is leadership. So it's leadership specifically in like a Christian context. How do pastors deal with each other? How do you lead? Um, spiritual formation is just like a super churchy term for spiritual growth, right? So we talk about that kind of thing a lot. This class was specifically about discipleship. So anything that had to do with becoming more like Christ, whether that was we have a small group, we're in a community that love Jesus together and iron sharpens iron, right? Like we're becoming like Jesus or we hear sermons and I listen to worship music, like all things discipleship, right? Well, this class had the craziest assignment of any class that I've been in so far. In five and a half weeks, we had a seven-week class, but in five and a half weeks, we read the entire New Testament. And as we did that, we were supposed to make bullet points for everything we saw that had to do with discipleship. So we're like in the Gospels, and it's right out the gate like, Jesus gets baptized. <laughs> and you're like, Matthew 2, whatever, Jesus was baptized, we should be baptized. Enter. <laughs> and you just continue the bullet points for the entire New Testament. The Holy Ghost had to help me, but I have a document of like 33 or 34 pages that's just bullet point after bullet point after bullet point after bullet point of all the things in the New Testament that pertain to your spiritual growth. Like I said, whether that's we should be filled with the Holy Spirit or we should be in a Bible study together or whatever, all of those things. And you know what blew my mind about this program and about this, this thing? I was not prepared for this. Of all the books in the New Testament and all the study that I personally did, I didn't Google this, right? Like this actually happened. Of all the study that I did, I was surprised to find the most common things that showed up in the New Testament. It wasn't everybody should pray for each other all the time. It wasn't we should all be filled with the Holy Spirit. The most common thing that showed up in the New Testament instruction was to guard against false teaching. 
And somebody ought to write that down and like big bold and highlight it. And other. Guard against false doctrine. Guard against nonsense, if you will. <laughs> Baloney. I wrote down eight passages. I may read a couple to you. Titus chapter two. It's not going to be on the, the screen. It says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Colossians says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Second Thessalonians said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you've received. First Timothy would say, as I urged you when I sent you to Macedonia, stay here in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine. Hebrews says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, that we do not drift away. And my favorite, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Here's just a few quick scriptures to basically say, yeah, the New Testament largely says, please realize that people are going to try to change what you believe. People are going to try to change what you believe. At this time in history, there were two main things that were happening. You had the Jewish people that believed a Messiah was coming, but most of them really struggled to believe that Jesus was that Messiah. They had dreamt up this incredible king coming in seven foot five on a big horse and slaughtering all their enemies. Like that was what they pictured. And Jesus showed up washing people's feet and loving everybody. And that was just not what they were prepared for, right? So you had this doctrine that was like, well, Jesus might be a good guy, but he's probably not the Messiah. So right out the gate, you had this, no, that's not accurate. Meanwhile, you had something called Gnosticism. Try to spell that one. It starts with a G. That they have, they, they have this like works plus grace. So they believe that Jesus is who he says he is, probably. But they also believe almost like a karma aspect. To where, but you have to earn your way to the grace. You have to do the right things. So, I mean, in the first like hundred years, this is like the apostles are, are alive. So as all these letters are being written, you have these early churches that are falling away from the doctrine they had received within years of receiving salvation. Jesus hasn't been gone from earth very long. And we're already starting to adjust our doctrine. The definition of doctrine is this. A belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church, political party, or other group. And let me, let me say this. I'm not going to tell you which way I voted. Because I'm not very devoted to either one. But your political doctrine cannot trump your religious doctrine. You cannot... Hmm. Let me say it this way. If, if you allow the culture around you or the, the political view around you to adjust your doctrine, then you don't have Christian doctrine. What you have is what we would, what psychology would call modern spirituality. If you start getting into the college world, you start getting into some of these philosophical conversations, you will find that most psychologists, 
uh, philosophers, they agree that spirituality is great for your physical and mental health. So you'll find a lot of this like universalism conversation that, oh, it is so good to meditate and to pray because now we have scientific proof that those things are good for you, right? Well, that's great, but spirituality and salvation are not connected. And, and there are times that we watered, ah, I sound like such an old school preacher. Sorry, not sorry. We, we accidentally watered down the power of the gospel, attempting to just adjust to the things that are going on around us. But the early church was dealing with this same thing. In fact, the very beginning of time, Rewind with me all the way back to the creation story in Genesis. God takes the seven days, six days of creation. Homie rests on the seventh day and you've got Adam and Eve and all the great things are happening, right? Okay, God gives them one command. Don't eat from the tree, right? Eve goes over there looking at the tree. The Bible says in Genesis chapter three, it's early on in the first couple of verses, that Eve was there and the serpent came to her and said, did God really say that? But, it, but is that what he meant? But I mean, is that like, I mean, nah. This is probably not what he actually meant, right? From the very beginning of time, the one thing that God said to them that was really of super big significance, the enemy came to and said, I so now you fast forward four and a half thousand years. What do you do with the amount of things that we have in this word where the enemy would say, I mean, did he really say that? The most important thing, I'm telling, I was telling somebody last week, I've been so convicted in the best way. The most important thing that we can do right now, I'm convinced as Christians, is read the New Testament and believe it. Because again, the context is everything. At a time when you can make anything sound preachy, oh my goodness, my TikTok is hilarious right now. Because I'm like, just for kicks and giggles, there are times that I'll listen to the preachers that are just saying absolute nonsense. So I never really know what somebody's gonna say. Because I'm a pastor, guys. My TikTok is like 80% pastor little clips and dogs doing silly things that my wife and I send back and forth. So those, those pastor reels are kind of half and half. And sometimes they're saying things and I'm like, how did you, what? I heard one yesterday that I'm not going to say because it's way too crazy. But I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It was just a flat lie. Hear me. Just because somebody makes it sound like a good sermon does not mean that it's scriptural in the slightest. There are games that pastors do right now. You can find them online. There are churches that have done this just for fun on a Sunday morning where they'll have two or three of their pastors come out and they'll pull these random topics from a hat and just preach on them for a minute. It's complete nonsense. They're like pulling it like pizza. Like, by God, the Lord can bless you in layers. <laughs> Pepperonis, ham by God, pineapple. And then some people are like, I don't know about it, but I'm totally for pineapple on pizza. Sorry, not sorry. You can preach on anything. And the right person can be a halfway decent like lawyer at arguing and can make it sound legitimate. But that does not mean that it is. 
The most important thing, I'm telling you, the most important thing that we can do right now is to read the New Testament, understanding that this is written to new people in the faith that are dealing with the same nonsense that we are right now, and to believe whatever is in this word. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. Either this is true or it's not. The Bible says that you, you can't take out and you cannot put in to this word. So if you and God are on opposite ends of a subject, you're probably the one that's wrong. And this is messy. Let me say this. this is, let, let's be political. This is messy because there are times when neither party is really Christian. And if you're waiting on one to be Christian, you are going to be waiting a very long time. It's not going to happen. Most of the time, there are big enough differences between the two and the things that they stand for biblically where you can make your decision for which way to vote. You just can. There have been times that things have been blurry. You had people that ran, you're like, man, I don't like this person, I really don't like that person. It's a situation. It's a situation. But as an American... Hey, man, this sounds so like, God bless America. No, we're not going to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Calm down, calm down, calm down. But in this country, you have a right to vote. But as a Christian, your devotion first and foremost is to what the Word says. Amen? That's good preaching, Pastor. Preach that, sir. I will. I believe God legitimately wants to bring some clarity on some issues. And I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to do it for you. I will say that I think God wants to bring some clarity on some big issues. God has an opinion on abortion. God has an opinion on homosexuality. God has an opinion on gender identity. God has an opinion on these things. And our morality has to be built on God's opinions and on nothing else. It's not a, oh, this felt great to believe this or this felt great. No, I'm telling you, this thing is all or nothing. The scariest scripture in the Bible. Man, I should have thought about this and put it on the screen, but I promise it's there. You can Google it. The scariest scripture in the Bible. Jesus said, many of you in that day, will Lord, Lord, we perform miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Look how many people got saved because of what we preached. And Jesus will look at them and say, get away from me. I do not know you. I'm telling you, as a pastor, that is the scariest passage of scripture in the Bible. Because I don't want to be a part of the catchy one-liner sermon stuff that are leading people down that line. My job is not to be politically correct. It's also not to be a butthead. Quote me on that. Put that one on Twitter. <laughs> but our job is to just listen to this word and to believe that it's the truth because it is. And if a ton of the New Testament is focused on, hey, church, don't, whatever you do, don't get distracted by the noise. Don't pivot your belief based off of what your best friend or your mama believes. Don't change your doctrine based off of what you wish was true. 
Because there are times you flat may not like what's in here. Thanks, pastor. That's really encouraging. (laughs) But the gospel is the gospel. And I'm telling you, when you know that you know that you know, then you have this trust that, yeah, but he's a really good dad. And he's, he's right. So if this is what he says, man, if this is the manual here, if this is how life is supposed to be, that that's, that's it. That's it. I don't hate anybody. I'm not angry with anybody. But by God, I'm going to be committed to this word. Somebody say amen. The question remains the same for tonight. If you heard God's voice, if today you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts like our ancestors did and wander around in the desert. Today, if God speaks to you, listen to what he says and believe it. Amen? Stand to your feet across the room. I don't know that I've ever just legitimately given homework, so I don't, I don't know that I'll really do that. But let me just give like guidance, okay? When you are praying, and you ought to, let me say this too. We ought to be praying about these, these heavy topic things that are happening around the world right now, okay? Racism is a legitimate issue. It's not a political issue. This is a problem. The Lord hates it. This is a sin issue. This is something that we need to pray about. We need to pray that God would give the church eyes and ears to handle this situation, to figure out how to love, how to, how to lead. How to do. We, got, we need to pray that God would bring healing over brothers and sisters that have dealt with this awful stuff. Like, we need to pray about these things, right? But you have all these other completely unrelated issues that have become political things. We should pray about these. We should care about these. My encouragement to you is to do your own research on these issues as you pray about them. Because God cares. He has an opinion. That does not mean get on YouTube and look to see what a pastor has to say and watch him just backwards pull some scriptures out of this thing. No, 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 no. You're an adult. Look for scriptures about abortion and see what the word says. Look up scriptures about about homosexuality, about these these topics, these things that we just don't know how to maneuver and how to handle. And even as I'm saying it, like, y'all, I say the word, and everyone's like, (gasps) no, these are real people that have dealt with legitimate stuff. And God has opinions on these things. God has love for these people. And the Bible has things to say about these topics. So go study up. Don't just repost something on social media because it's catchy. It might be complete nonsense and you don't want to ruin your witness or be a part of spreading a false gospel, a false doctrine that could lead somebody down that road. Again, we are the body of believers. We are leaders, whether you like it or not. And now with social media and all the other things, you really are a leader. There are a ton of people that see what you post, that see how you walk, to see how you live your life. So let's set an informed example. Amen? God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is the good news. And we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. 
to set people free. So God, I thank you for what you've done. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you gave us your Holy Spirit to maneuver and to love people well, to lead people with truth. And God, I ask right now that you will give us a heart to care for the people and to care for the issues that you care about. And I ask that you will open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have to say today. If we hear your voice, Lord, we submit to your leadership. Thank you for being our savior. Come be our Lord. God, I ask for everyone in the room that maybe they kind of crawled in here tonight, that it's been a heavy week. It's been a lot going on. God, I ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Ghost right now, that there would be an encouragement, that there would be a peace, that there would be a joy unspeakable and full of glory. God, I thank you for this family that we have. I thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. And I bless these people, Lord, that physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially, they would be blessed and highly favored in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.